it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome in to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner producing the show for us. You can give us a call at 251 694-1055 or as always we look forward to interacting with you on the app it was a very busy weekend of sports whether you loved horse racing in the preakness whether you were tuned in to the pga championship of course a lot of people have been talking about the nba and everything that's going on and, and i will say this i definitely did not think Michael Bronner at this point in time in the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals, I would be saying, go get me a broom. No way would I be Oof. thinking that in the Eastern and Western Conference Championships. It's disappointing, man. I mean, obviously, the the marquee television matchup would be Celtics-Lakers, but even throwing that aside... Just from a neutral fan perspective of someone who's not like a huge fan of any team, like you want these series to be close. And and it's two absolute embarrassments, one more so than the other. I think the Lakers are uh, just a bit above their heads, and not, the Nuggets are the one seed and, and certainly playing like it. Jamal Murray is playing absolutely out of his mind, and it's not like the Lakers are getting humiliated in these games. The Nuggets just uh, go on these runs where they can't miss a shot and and – end up winning these games but it's not not quite the same in the east uh after last night it's it, it's downright embarrassing for boston well it, here's my take on this the, when we went off the air on friday we were getting ready to play game two of heat versus the celtics and the heat were at the celtics on friday and i i did not think that grant williams would buck up at Jimmy Butler and have anything negative to say in regards to their play on the court. And they went nose to nose with one another. And Jimmy Butler finds a way to handle his business as far as making sure the Heat were going to go down to Miami up two to nothing. And then you look at what goes on last night. The Heat absolutely cook the Boston Celtics. Uh, a franchise that has made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals as one of the best teams in the NBA. And Gabe Vincent. Yeah, folks, tell me who Gabe Vincent is. <laughs> if you can tell me who drafted Gabe Vincent, I know I have a WNSP t-shirt for you. Well, guess what? No one drafted Gabe Vincent. He, oh, he's you're, undrafted. You're, you really set that one up, huh? Absolutely. Undrafted. 29 points in the game last night. He only averaged nine and a half during the regular season. But to go up 3-0, the Heat 
are looking like they want to bring Eric Spolstra another gold trophy down to Miami. And it, it's amazing because right now the Celtics have absolutely zero answers. And that's in the Eastern Conference, Mike. No, it, it really is pathetic. I, the, you brought up you brought up the Heat. I mean, they, they always seem to have the, these dudes. Gabe, Gabe Vincent is a good example. Caleb Martin. They always seem to have these dudes that just come out of nowhere and hit shots. Last year in the East Conference Finals, it was Max Struess, and he's still obviously a big piece of that team. The Heat, always their development of uh, of guys is, is second to none. Spolster really is probably the best coach in the league, and yeah, they're they're just they're just dogging the Celtics, man. And and we were talking about this before the show, but I, I gotta press you on this because, I mean, how do you not fire Joe Missoula after this? How how can you not? All right, so so if you have that, and we can audio, play some audio from if, him. If yeah. you have the audio ready, this is the head coach. I've t- I have two clips from him. Though. We'll, we'll play both of the Boston Celtics. The head coach. In his first year of the Boston Celtics. What exactly happened out there? Uh, I just didn't have him ready to play. Like the last 48 hours? Um, yeah, just, I just didn't have him ready to play. I should have, uh, whatever it was, whether it was a starting lineup or it was an adjustment, just I have to get them in a better place, ready to play. That's on me. You keep saying it's on you, but can you be more specific? Was it was it the speech making? Was it the yeah? Plays? I just didn't. I just didn't have them ready to play. I just didn't didn't have the execute the proper game plan. I didn't put them in the right mentality to be ready. And you know, it's my job to make sure that they're connected uh, and that they're ready to play. And I didn't do that. So, I, I, in in the privacy of your locker room, were you too loud? Not loud enough? I'm just looking for. I don't know. Um, you, you, at the time, you think you say what needs to be said, but at, at the same time, like you, I just have to be better. I got to make sure when we step on that floor that we're ready to uh, execute. We're ready to be physical. We're ready to play harder than the other team. That, that's that's my job. Joe, I don't want to say you lost this team, but is there a disconnect between you and the players at this point? Is there something not quite working that might have worked in February or January that you're tr- you're not telling them to lose by 28 points? But they're, and they're, you're telling them to try. So is there a disconnect? Yeah, that's where I have to be better is figure out what this team needs to make sure that they're connected, they're physical, and they're together by the time we step on the floor. Who do you think caused that disconnect? Um, not sure. The Boston Celtics head coach, not sure what can cause the disconnect for his team. Well, that that's what that's where I, I respect the fact as the head coach, he's taking all the responsibility, he's taking all the blame. But when you have an all-star that's not getting a shot off in the fourth quarter at all, or not scoring at all in the fourth quarter, and he's shown you his historic performance in game seven. They call a timeout, draw up a play for him. I, I don't understand, Michael. You, you say that he needs to be fired or lose his job after this series is over. I, I don't think he's capable. Joe Mazzula, you don't think he's capable of leading the Boston Celtics in the future? Not to a title, not past the Eastern Conference Finals. And granted, in all fairness to Joe Mazzula, he was thrown into an impossible situation. Obviously, we can rehash the Ima Adoka situation all day, and whether you think he should have been fired or not, it's not really relevant. He's not the coach anymore. And Mazzula was obviously an assistant last season under Adoka, and you understand why they hired him, why they gave him an extension just after the All Star break. I, I 
can't really tell you why they did that, but so he was thrown into a situation where it's like, all right, this team made the finals last, or made the finals and almost won the thing. They were up two one against the Warriors, and so all right, we're just gonna go with what we think is gonna continue it. And very clearly, Joe Mazzulla is not Ime Doka, and that that's okay. He doesn't have to be, but. And I, I respect him sitting there and, and pointing the blame at himself, but at a certain point, it's like, okay, I'm taking the blame, but what's next? Why? No, you, you have two all-star players, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, combining for just 26 points. It has nothing to do with your timeouts or coaching. 26 points combined by two all-stars, and you want to expect them to win? No, Missoula's not making a basket. Yes, his job is to make the adjustments. I don't care what kind of rah-rah speech he had to give prior to them starting game three. Should have been his best speech ever. Yeah. Period. And he admitted that he did not prepare his team the way he needed to do. Now, not taking anything away from the Miami Heat. Of course. At all, because the Eric Spolstra has gotten it done every single round. It makes you wonder how in the Sam Hill is the Miami Heat an eighth seed coming into the NBA playoffs? What took them so long? And they're doing so without Tyler yeah. Hero and Victor Oladipo. Okay, so your depth is less than it was. And you're getting beat by guys that have played in the NBA for three and four years who weren't even signed to a contract, weren't even drafted, for goodness sake. But two All-Stars, Tatum and Tatum and Brown, combined for 26 points. Cannot happen. Make no mistake, I'm certainly not sitting here and saying this is all Joe Mazzulla's fault. Of course, they're, the players are not playing up to the capability that we've seen them play. But uh, well, and another angle of that is I don't think Joe Mazzulla should get up there. This is what Charles Barkley was saying last night. I don't think Joe Mazzulla should get up there and take all the blame on himself because frankly, it's it's not all his fault. Like the players aren't playing as well as they should be. But that being said, I mean that's a dead team out there last night. That's a team that has lost its dead heart. Dead man, won't. That's a team that had they they have no interest in even coming out for Game Four. How do you bring back Mazzulla next year? How is Brad Stevens looking at this from an executive? And, say, and saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to bring back Missoula next year. Because in no year way. one, he's made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. He there, was handed a team that made the NBA Finals last year. It, it, it and just told, don't it, screw it, it up. It doesn't he matter about what he inherited. It doesn't matter what he inherited. The bottom line is he's coached them all year long to be in a one seed, Two. to be in a, in a, in a two-seed well, a, a better seed in this situation. Well, I'll take that back. They were a one seed prior to blowing it down the stretch against Philly to where there were some games down the stretch that he made some questionable coaching decisions. He doesn't call timeout. But that part of the problem is even as a two seed, when you would secure home court advantage, you still have to find a way to get results from your own stars. You're pulling your starters entering the fourth quarter. I understand you're down 30. Well, that the game's game that old. game was over. So you might as well. I, I'm not gonna like really give him that much flack for it, but just the optics of it are pathetic. If I'm Brad Stevens looking down from from the owner's booth or wherever he sits and watches these games, 
I'm saying I'm done with this. You know what? I'm going to take over this team myself again, and I'm just going to come coach again. How, how do you watch this happen? This is a complete and utter meltdown from this Celtics team. And this team. is just it's in pathetic. the Eastern Conference. This is in the Eastern Conference. What we have going on in the Western Conference is, is a horse of a different color. Yeah. Because, again, you still have two elite NBA superstars. At least the Lakers weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> True, the, but but the Miami Heat definitely weren't yeah. supposed to be here. They're an eight seed, and the Lakers are playing team at times. But when you have LeBron struggling the way he's struggling, that's where the whole situation really shocks me. That you go to L.A. and you said, okay, LeBron James is going to be due. He's going to be due. Him and Anthony Davis both. They're going to find a way. I thought not they'd to win. Lose I thought LA. they'd win Game Three. At least that that's why I can't believe we're sitting here talking about Two sweeping sweeps. of the Eastern and Western Conference finals. That is unimaginable to me the, if you, even if you are a Denver Nuggets fan, I don't think you can say that you thought that you would go in and have a, the ability to, to put the Los Angeles Lakers to sleep tonight and to send LeBron James home early than what he thought he was going to be sent because you get them a fighter's chance in this series, especially going back to yep. L.A. I know I did. You think and the Lakers win one? Why would you? I mean, you're, you're, you're... I'll tell you what. It's more likely the Lakers rally and win a game than the Celtics win in game four. The Celtics might lose by 50 I, in I game think they're, they're, the Lakers are in better shape than what the Celtics they're are. They're also at home, to be fair. But. The, the, the Celtics are on the road and having to try to close the door in Miami. But the Lakers being at home... You would have thought that would have been a home court advantage for them on Saturday. And winds up, Jokic doesn't get his triple-double, but he once again shows that when him and Murray both are clicking on the same page, there, there's not a team in the NBA that, that, that can stop that. So if you don't think Joe Mazzulla should be fired, and it doesn't sound no. like you think he should, no. what what is the... What do the Celtics do? Just run it back with the same core and same coach next year and hope the results are different? Because I'll I tell you right now, they won't be. Al Horford is getting a year older, so you 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 know you don't trade him, but he's still a valuable asset to your program. That's why you see Udonis Haslam still on the roster for the Miami Heat. I'm not going to give you any minutes, even in the blowout. You know he'll take a DMP, but I will say that I'd still believe that you don't fire. Joe Mazzulla, you 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 hold on to him. It's a coach that has made it to the Eastern Conference Finals in his first year. But the Lakers, they, they've been fakers so far. They haven't been able to hold on. And I know we have a caller that wants to chime in about this Eastern and Western Conference Finals as well as the Boston Celtics head coach. Caller, good afternoon. Welcome to the final drive. Hey, Corey, see, that's the problem these NBA contracts, the way they're written. They pay these people too much money after one good year or two good years. There's no accountability. They need to bench their behinds and make a point. And that's why you see all these players, all these stars, two and three stars, they don't play well together. But you see these people like, you know, Tampa, the Devil Rays have the lowest payroll, but look at what they do. It's a bunch of hungry players who want to play. When they play these kids so much money, there's no accountability. Look at John Moran, what he's doing. No accountability, no responsibility, no punishment whatsoever. That's why these players act like that. It's not always all, all the coach. 
Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's on the coach in this situation because you have two NBA All-Stars. All-Stars. should be One of them should be scoring 26 points, and you had both of them, both of the Jasons, only score 26 combined. Coach, yeah. it doesn't matter. You could have... You could have had Phil Jackson. You could have had Pat Riley. Riley. Uh, they wouldn't you, have lost by 30 it, it, it if they had Phil Jackson or uh, Pat uh, Riley. Uh, uh, L is an L at this point in time, but you have to show up. And you can't quit, especially when you're on the verge of being swept. You have to show some fight in you that you're ready to rally for game four, especially on the road. But I agree with the caller about players getting paid and, and being showed the big buckets and then – or even creating a super team well, because Miami, the Miami Heat are far from a super team. That That's one thing for sure. Well, what's funny now, I believe Brown and Tatum are both eligible for super maxes this summer. Like, do you pay them and keep the core together and just hope? I mean, they're both, what, 25 and 26, something like that? As a whole, you definitely you need a Batman to a Robin in the NBA. For sure. It seems you, like you, Jalen Brown is fed up. You, you be, have to have a ba- Batman to a Robin. You you just can't you you can't do it by yourself as bad as you would like to in today's yeah, just ask Kyrie game. about that. It, it, it's not going to happen. And regardless of whether Kyrie joins the Lakers or not, it, it's just there is certain things that are not going to happen consistently. And it's been a struggle here for the Eastern and Western Conference Finals for not only the Lakers but the Celtics as well. And it's just shocking the fact that we're talking about tonight that we're possibly looking at a sweep by the Denver Nuggets. And who who can honestly say they felt the Denver Nuggets were this good continually? Not me. Not a lot of people. If you really had the Denver Nuggets making it to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history, raise your hand. Stand up. Call the station, 251-694-1055. Would love to hear from you here on the final drive. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner doing a wonderful job producing the show. Taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055. Or you can get in touch with us in the app. And was mentioning the fact that LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers in their struggle, but someone who decided to give it up after 19 years of not struggling in the NBA was Carmelo Anthony. Some struggling. Uh, Well, I I would say when you're the ninth leading scorer in league history, a 10-time All-Star, and the names in front of you just are LeBron, Kareem, Carl, Kobe, Michael, Dirk, Wilt, and Shaq, and you didn't struggle too much. You played a lot more basketball than you did not play. And Carmelo Anthony will be considered one of the NBA's all-time greats and was already named to the NBA's all-time 75, 75th best players edition. And I don't know, do, do, do you all believe that Carmelo Anthony, when after he was a freshman and he won the national championship, in 2003 
turned around and then, of course, had an opportunity to come into that draft class with the LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and outlasting LeBron James, outlasting everyone in that class because now he's the only one remaining from that draft class still playing in the NBA. Wow. Is Carmelo Anthony one of the greatest players of all time in NBA history? Yeah, I mean, I guess it def depends on your definition of one of, but yeah, he's one of the best players of all time, like top 75, 100, whatever whatever number you want to put on it. But certainly one of the best players of this generation, especially on the offensive end, one of the most exciting players, one of the most polarizing players. Obviously had a lot of Olympic success, not a lot of postseason success for Carmelo to go along with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, certainly... One of the more exciting players of, of my generation growing up. And Car Nick's Carmelo is absolutely electric. Seeing Carmelo light up the garden. And, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I love the fact I that he had like an opportunity Carmella. to go to New York, Michael. Because oh, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not every day you have a chance to play in, in, in front of your home people. In front of your home crowd. And for those that grew up loving watching Carmelo at Syracuse. And then for him to be drafted by Denver and, and make Denver one of those playoff contenders, and then go to New York. I, I think that, again, being drafted number three overall by Denver in the 03 draft that included LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, you know he is. That's got to be the best draft ever, right? It, it it's If it's not, it definitely has to be considered one of the greatest draft classes the baggy ever. suits because 84's draft class was was pretty Elijah impressive Lon too jordan but i i still think 96's draft class was pretty impressive also but a hall of fame career by carmelo anthony and you you get a signature shoe and you're doing things the right way and just the way that he represented his country in the olympics three gold medals that, that's nothing to, to hold your head down about because you look, okay, the Olympics only every four years, so your career had to have spanned and you had to be healthy enough to have played on some outstanding teams and against some of the all-time greats in the NBA when you look at him having the opportunity to, to be the ninth leading scorer in NBA history Carmelo Anthony officially retired from the NBA today so congratulations to Carmelo Anthony coming up next we'll have Tony Sakalis the Alabama women's softball team is battling and finding its way into a super regional at four o'clock we'll have Jalen Armour Davis St. Paul's great, Alabama Crimson Tide great, current Baltimore Raven, 4.30. Pete Smith will join us to talk about Jim Brown some more. Zach Blackerby at 5 o'clock. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Brauner. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Monday afternoon. And it was a great weekend for the Alabama baseball and softball programs, along with Nick Saban and his football program 
as well and always want to welcome in tony sakalis managing editor for tide illustrated into the final drive tony good afternoon how are you doing my friend Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. And this weekend, Parker's Jeremiah Beeman, a four-star defensive end, commits to the Alabama Crimson Tide. And that's that's big time when Alabama can keep a four-star recruit in state. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of teams after him. And, and like you said, anytime you can keep your in-state talent it's real, you know, it's real, I guess, uh, you know, everyone wants to go and grab the best players from the nation, but you, it starts with protecting, you know, the border of Alabama. And so you can't let those people leave the state. Alabama's done a pretty decent job at that. They've, they've had some losses here or there uh, with in-state kids, but they do a really good job of recruiting nationally and locally or, you know, in, within the state. And I, um, I think this is a big get for them. Well, Beeman is the Crimson Tide's seventh recruit to join this 2024 class and most definitely the fourth from the state of Alabama. And there's no better recruiter immediately than the players that are fresh commitments. And, of course, we have a couple of down this way in Foley's Perry Thompson and Sterling Dixon Jr. that will continue to be part of that class. And I, I think that when you get those guys together, whether it's on-campus recruiting for camps, whatever the situation may be, they'll continue to recruit those players that are uncommitted from across the country. I mean, that's just as valuable as the coaches sometimes. I mean, these players, they build bonds. They, you know, sometimes you'll see these package deals. Um, and it's really important. I mean, if you have a person that you want to play with, um, a lot of times, you know, that that's the deciding factor. Now, sometimes you see those bonds, they're not, you know, it's not a guarantee, but I do think that that goes a long way. So having those extra recruiters, if you want to call them, uh, that could be really big. And so I think it's another thing, too, is you start getting these in-state kids and they start snowballing because they want to play together. They know they're the best, you know, kids in the state. They've played against each other, uh, and they want to stick together. So that's all part of it. You start getting these guys. They, they start, you know, it starts to roll over, and then you start ending up with more and more talent. Well, Alabama, no shortage of talent, especially when it comes to in-state recruitment, and no shortage of talent when it comes to Patrick Murphy's Alabama Crimson Tide women's softball program. For the 17th time in the last 18 seasons, Alabama advances to the NCAA Super Regional, and it wasn't an easy game that they played against Middle Tennessee, and they were able to win the game without one of the greatest Alabama players of all time in Montana Fouts. Yeah, I think that's the biggest key. And Jayla Torrance, you cannot take anything away from her. She stepped up massively, 18 and two-thirds, scoreless innings. She earned all three wins that Alabama had in the regional. Um, just absolutely clutch performance from her. Uh, and uh, you just really can't say enough about her. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at, you know, Alabama moving forward, uh, I think the hope is that they have Montana Fouts, but if Jayla Torrance can pitch that way and the, the bats will need to pick up for her, you can't rely on just one solo home run like they did in that deciding game. 
But if the bats can pick up and, and Torrance can keep things going, maybe they can make it a little bit longer without a Montana foul. You, you'll have to see. I think they want Montana back, but I, I don't necessarily think it's a, a certainty that she comes back. And uh, to what extent will she come back when she does? Patrick Murphy said she was available for that, you know, to come in relief during that final game. I'd be interested to see, you know, what that looks like. We might find that out next week. Tony, I was reading your 23 for 23 this morning, you and James Benedetto predicting who the st- who's going to win the starting quarterback battle. You have Jalen Milrow, James had Ty Simpson. How likely do you think that is, in your opinion, uh, to change over the summer, and, and why do you think for now that it is going to be Milrow? Yeah, I think that it could it could change between all three quarterbacks. You know, we're kind of doing this to pass the time, so we're asking 23 questions for the 23 season, and this is just the, the best way to start it was with the number one question. But I think when you look at it, I think it's pretty dead even. I picked Milrow because I can only go based on what I've seen, and what I've seen is Alabama has trusted Jalen Milrow. Um, you know, it didn't look like he like Ty Simpson was coming in for Jalen Milrow, and he, you know, didn't look like that was necessarily an option against Texas A&M or or Arkansas when Milrow faced a little bit of struggles in both those games. Milrow spent the majority of the spring camp as the first-team quarterback. He played for the first-team offense during A-Day. I just think that at the moment you've got to say that he's your leader heading into the summer. Now, that's in relative terms because it's not like in other years where Alabama's had a leader and that was a definitive leader. You know, like Mac Jones was a definitive leader over Bryce Young. You know, obviously, you know, um, you know, Bryce Young was a definitive leader over Paul Tyson. He, 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 you know what I'm saying? But um, I think, you know, this year it's a lot more even. But – you know, I think if the game was tomorrow, Jalen Miller would be the starter. And, I, you know, that's the reason why I picked it. Well, yeah, I think there's going to be speculation until we see the kickoff against Middle Tennessee September 2nd. And even the starting quarterback who runs out under center or in shotgun formation on that first possession, I still think that a lot of split snaps are going to be had in preparation for the Texas Longhorns who will be coming in underneath the lights in Tuscaloosa on the 6th. Yeah, you know, the I, in an ideal world, people keep on saying that, but in an ideal world, that, that's not necessarily what you want in a, in a game that might come down to the wire. You don't want to be experimenting with quarterbacks. I mean, Texas is going to be a tough game. You'd like to figure that out beforehand. Um I don't. I think you're you're kind of at that point hoping that you can maybe do some of that during Middle Tennessee if you need to, and then pretty much find out your quarterback for Texas. I don't think you want to be switching quarterbacks or having multiple quarterbacks. You want to have a guy that you're confident with by week two. Um, we'll just see if Alabama is able to to do that. I mean, you know, that would be ideal, but we don't always live in a ideal world, and you know, I think Nick Saban knows that. Um, so this definitely could be a quarterback battle that doesn't get decided by week one. But, you know, I don't think Alabama is heading into the fall planning for that. I think they, they very much want a winner by week one. Yeah, Nick Saban's just that guy. He always wants somebody to grab the bull by the horns, so to speak. But I think he gave all four scholarship quarterbacks an opportunity to separate themselves in the spring and to really get ahead. And we know that that wasn't necessarily the case. But I think having five scholarship quarterbacks to choose from 
whether that be, hey, look, I just need to find that pecking order, regardless of whether it's a, a win or a loss in the second week versus Texas, especially if it's a loss, you'll continue to find the musical chairs at quarterback, which is why a lot of Alabama Crimson Tide fans are waiting for Julian saying to get on campus. And that's going to be a lot of pressure on this young man and what he's expected to do as the number two quarterback in the class of 2024. Yeah, and I'm expecting a lot from Julian Sane. In fact, you know, I think he's going to be in the mix regardless for that starting spot next year. You know, I expect whoever wins the starting job this year is obviously going to probably, unless they just have a miraculous season and, and go to the NFL, uh, they're probably going to start, you know, they're going to come back next year uh, and compete for that starting job again. Uh, and so I think you've had the other two of those three transfer out of the program more than likely. So then you're going with whoever wins the starting job, Eli Goldstein, Dylan Lonergan, and then Julian Sayan. And, and maybe even one of the two freshmen this year, Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan, they might, you know, transfer depending on how things, you know, play out uh, as well. Uh, you know, you, you'll have to wait and see. I don't necessarily think that there'll be, like, a mass exodus before the season, but I think kind of like late November, early December, you could really start seeing, like, you know, the, the – quarterbacks that didn't win out on the transfer portal kind of enter the transfer portal. Tony, it feels like since the transfer the, since bringing in Tyler Buckner, which I believe was on the day the day of the first round of the NFL draft, I, it kind of seemed like on that day a lot of people were thinking, "Oh, they're bringing him in to be the starter." Like if there were betting odds on it, Buckner probably would have been the favorite on that day. And it feels like since then, no pun intended, that the tide has shifted a bit. Uh, that a lot of people think it's Milrow or Simpson, and Buckner's probably if he doesn't win the starting job, will be the third string. Why, why do you think that is? Given that there hasn't really been a lot to go off of uh, i don't think that there's necessarily an expectation that like I, I think it's dead even and i don't think anyone really I, I don't think i think maybe if people thought that it was going to be tyler buckner right away it's just because at that stage you don't usually bring in transfer quarterbacks to, to ride on the bench so i think there might have been an initial oh wow i did not find a starter and then obviously you have the ties with uh tommy reese and tyler buckner so like easy to get excited and think that that's going to happen. Um, I wouldn't, at the same breath, I would not be surprised if he did win the starting job. Um, you know, obviously, when he came in, he's going to have to have conversations with Alabama's staff, and while they're not going to promise him the starting job, they are going to have discussions with him about it, and obviously, whatever was said, he has to feel good enough about what was said to think that he has a legitimate chance of winning the starting job. And he's a good quarterback in his own right. Um, he's he's mobile. He's probably the shiftiest in terms of, you know, if you take, you know, they're all somewhat fast. Uh, you know, obviously Jalen Miro's exceptionally fast. But um, he can he can move, and he's probably got the, he's the most shake to him. Uh, you know, I think if it comes to just breaking, you know, making defenders miss, I actually really like uh, Tyler Buckner. I kind of see that, like, you know, Jalen Hurts, ability with him where it doesn't always look like he's moving as fast as he is and then he's just cruising past defenders i see that a little bit with tyler buckner um and, and I, I like his ability to kind of make people miss with his feet and he also has a, a decent arm it's just a matter of with him it's you know making better decisions in the pocket eliminating turnovers um so i don't think it's you know i don't necessarily think the momentum's gone down with him for any chance it's it's going to be difficult to learn the the teammates that he has, build chemistry with the receivers. Fortunately for him, he'll have 
you know, at least some experience under his offensive coordinator. I think that's key in bringing in a guy at this point in the year. But um, I, I wouldn't write him off at all either. You know, that's why I said I think it's dead even between those three. We're talking about being written off the Alabama baseball program after the firing of Coach Bohannon earlier this season were kind of written off. But Alabama wins eight of its final ten regular season games after firing Brad Bohannon and enter tomorrow's game in the SEC tournament in Hoover versus the Kentucky Wildcats. How are we feeling that the Crimson Tide will do in, in the first single elimination game before they go to double elimination? one's key because I think, you know, you want to get out of Hoover with two wins, get to 40 uh, wins, you know, heading into the selection. And then maybe if they get to 40 wins, you know, I've kind of heard that they'll have a, a legitimate shot at getting a hosting a regional, which is they haven't done uh, what since like 2006, I think. So um, that would be absolutely, you know, you know, monumental for the baseball program, especially in a time when, you know, it was at a, a really dark period and what looked like it was going to be, uh, you know, maybe the end of its season. And for it to bounce back like this and host the regional would be huge. But you need to, to win that game to prolong your stay in Hoover for that to happen. So uh, the, the game against, you know, Kentucky will be huge. And then you go in, you know, you, you probably hope you steal one more at least. But the way this team's playing, I mean – uh, I wouldn't count it out from, you know, making a deep run. I think it probably energized the fan base. I'm kind of expecting, you know, Alabama to get some good support out in Hoover. And it's not a home field advantage, but, I mean, it is an easier trip for Alabama than it is for anybody else, and they are going to have a lot of home support. So um, if you mix that in with Alabama being hot, I think, you know, you have to like their chances a at least a little bit for uh, making a deep run in this tournament. Yeah, Alabama, the last time they've won the SEC baseball tournament was in 2003. So it's been quite a while since the Crimson Tide have been able to win the entire SEC baseball tournament. But kudos to the staff and everything that the interim coach, Jason Jackson, has been able to achieve with the microscope that's on the Crimson Tide program. And I definitely look forward to watching their game tomorrow versus Kentucky to see if they can survive and advance because in any tournament whether it's March Madness or the SEC basketball tournament that first game is always the hardest to win and then anything can happen definitely I mean especially in this one too because I mean like you know you win this one lose the second one well then you're, you still have that double elimination you know it'd be real disappointing for Alabama to, to be on the cusp of making some kind of run maybe competing for a regional and then just having the you know rug torn from underneath it with a loss to Kentucky I think that's just so key to give yourself those chances at, at multiple games Tony great job of all Alabama coverage all the time whether it be softball baseball and of course football where we'll continue to see if anything transpires in the transfer portal had thought that Alabama would be quiet or done but in the portal when there's players that are still there anything is possible how can people follow all of your great Alabama coverage yeah the site's Tide Illustrated or you can go to alabama.rivals.com uh, check us out at Tide Illustrated on Twitter or you can follow me at Tony underscore to call us on Twitter as well Tony, thank you so much for your time here on The Final Drive, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Anytime. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Tony Sakala is joining us this afternoon on The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty. 
and Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055, or you can get in touch with us on the app. And as we're getting ready to head to the top of this 4 o'clock hour, don't forget you don't want to miss Jalen Armour Davis, former St. Paul Saint, of course, All-American corner, and as well as current corner for the Baltimore Ravens. He'll be joining us here at 4 o'clock on the final drive. But in the NFL, now that Ben Roethlisberger has retired, his statements today when he had his former teammate, and Michael Broner, I do say teammate. I know Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben had a Hall of Fame career, but Ben Roethlisberger told Kenny Pickett, the current quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he did not want to see him succeed and have immediate success with the Steelers. And, of course, he took over in week number four. The team was two and six. But when's the last time you've heard anyone publicly just to come out, whether it's your current teammate, former teammate, to just flat out say, I don't want you to succeed at that position? Well, fairness to it, they, they weren't teammates. Pickett was a rookie this year, and Big Ben was already off the Steelers. But I, it's tough. Like, obviously, you take it at face value, and it's like, ugh, that, that doesn't sound great. But I do get it. You know, Big Ben, and he may be delusional in thinking this, but feels he was pushed out by the Steelers when he still had football left in the tank, which, you know, isn't really true. He, he was pretty clearly done. But thinking about it from Big Ben's perspective, he feels he was kind of forced out when he, he thought he still could have played, and they drafted a new guy. And uh, and so why, why would you want him to immediately just ball out and succeed? I, I do get what he's saying. I don't. I don't get what he's saying. I don't understand why he would say that, Michael Brauner. He's a competitor. He want, he, like, he's not a stealer anymore. Why should he be rooting immediately for his successor to just Because you just love the Steelers out? organization. Yeah. You, it, it, it's it's we over me. Well, if you if you listen to the full quote, maybe we'll, we don't have time right now. Maybe we'll play the the full like two minute clip later. But uh, you know, he does say like, all right, like at first it was a little bit like that, and then I found myself rooting for you because I love the Steelers so much. But I do get it. I I do get what he's saying. Like that's the competitor in a high level athlete like that who feels he got replaced before again. Not saying that Big Ben had good football left in the tank. I'm just trying to put, no, myself, he did not. put myself in in the thought process of of why he would say that. Uh, he was done, and, and the Steelers made the right choice to get rid of him. And I do believe Kenny Pickett's going to be really good. I just I, I do get what he's saying when he says, "All right, I don't want the guy who re they replaced me with to just come in and ball out right away." I'm sure Tom Brady would be the same. You think Tom Brady wants Mac Jones to ball out? He's probably internally loving it. That, that the Patriots your success is your success without, without him. Your success is your success. It's not going to take away from the greatness of someone else. They can't take away what you have already achieved. It's already been written. That page is now whether they turn the page or not, that's a whole different story. But as far as someone's success being a current or former teammate to root against them, 
from the same position as far as from a franchise that Big Ben spent an entire career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think he said he was rooting against them. He was just like, it felt a little odd about. He, now, I'll give him credit. As you started playing, yeah. I found myself rooting more and more for you. Yeah. He said, but I felt early on, I didn't, I didn't want you to have success because you followed me up. That's about as blunt as you could put it. It's a, it's funny. He said it like it was a face-to-face picket Roethlisberger <laughs> interview. He said it right to his face. He, like you got to respect him for it. I, I I do respect him for. I'm a little shocked by it, but I respect his opinion. Jalen Armour Davis joining us next here at the top of the hour, here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Bronner. Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening this Monday afternoon. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. And again, tuning in to the final drive with Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Bronner, this afternoon. Always a pleasure to speak to our next guest, Jalen Armour Davis, currently of the Baltimore Ravens and Last week, John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, was able to come down here to Mobile, Alabama and speak on why he loves drafting Alabama players and what it means to come from an Alabama program. But Jalen Armour Davis is no stranger to championships, having won a state championship at St. Paul's and then turning around and winning a national championship at the University of Alabama and now with the franchise with the Baltimore Ravens to where when Jalen gets healthy, folks, watch out. He's going to be one of those Pro Bowl cornerbacks. Jalen, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Good afternoon. I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and just to continue to watch your growth. And as I mentioned moments ago, Jalen, I I want you to hear the comments that were made by your head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, Mm -hmm. when he was down here at Team Focus last week. Okay. They were both hurt last year. Can you maybe tell us how they might be doing this time around? Great question. Yeah, Jalen uh, Armour Davis had a kind of a little hip injury that he had. He actually got it. I think he had it coming in a little bit, you know, kind of the remnants of, of the college career and fought through it for as long as he could, really did a great job. Although he'll tell you it affected him. So I can't wait to see him out there. He's, he's doing rehab right now, so he'll be ready to go. Michael Pierce. 
That's John Harbaugh, your head coach, when he came down and asked about you and specifically about Alabama players in general, why he loves drafting Alabama players and the fact that with you coming back from that injury, how are you feeling right now and are you ready to go here for this 2023-24 season? Oh, man, I'm uh, I'm feeling really, really good. Uh, still got a couple more steps that I would like to make heading into the season, but I think by the time the season comes around, we'll be in a really good place. Um, but I'm happy with where I am. You know, I've had some ups and downs. Uh, obviously, last season, you know, something I wanted to push through as, like, as long as I could. It was something that had to be taken care of regardless, but, you know, I would rather push through something until I couldn't rather than just, you know, make that decision on the front end. So, um, you know, I'm glad Coach Harbaugh sees the same way that I do. I think we're all on the same page. So, you know, when the season comes around, it'll be a good time. Well, I tell you, you know, you're one of those dogs on the field, and meaning that it's going to take something. There's a difference between being hurt and being injured in the NFL, yeah. especially when you're getting paid those elite dollars. And even when you were at Alabama, I think coming in as mm -hmm. a freshman, if it wasn't for a torn knee, injury that you would have played your freshman season and just being able to battle back and fight through adversity it's not only helped you on the football field it's helped you off the football field in life also right 100 percent. yeah adversity is something that's not really new to me uh unfortunately injuries isn't new to me but you know anything that's kept me off the field was an injury it's never like you said being hurt and being injured is two totally different things so um, you know, the injuries that I've had were, were pretty serious injuries, but I always find my way back. I think about me, I'm always find a way to win. And it don't matter what I'm doing, whether we're on the field, off the field, uh, being a husband, being a father, being a son, it doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way to win through any adversity that I'm faced. So, and like you said, you know, my time at Alabama is, you know, I think the ACL was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it was my first time dealing with a type of adversity that I had never dealt with before. You know, not being able to play for a whole season, and it was something that wasn't my choice. You know, it was nothing, something is nothing I couldn't have did differently. You know, to keep me from tearing that ACL. So, uh, you know, this things that it, something like this doesn't bother me, uh, whether it's, it's a media or just going through it, the physical or mental part of it. It's just, it's just another obstacle that I'm, I know I get around like I usually do. So, yeah, you know, it'll be nothing in the future. Speaking with Jalen Armour Davis, former St. Paul Saint, former Alabama corner, current Baltimore Raven. Jalen, getting to play DB at Alabama, I mean, it's the position group that Nick Saban probably coaches up the most. Just what was that experience like, getting hands-on with probably the greatest college football coach of all time? Well, one, it was the reason I went to Alabama because it was I knew it was going to get the absolute best out of me. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, over time, you know, every year, it just felt like I was progressing in ways that wasn't so much about, you know, your physical progression. It was just mentally how you see the game, how you see the position, how you react to certain things. And like we were just saying, the adversity of, you know, just being at Alabama in general, you know, not just the receivers and people you're going to see in college uh, on the other side, but, you know, the guys that you're in the room with. You know, you're not the only one that's going to the NFL that's in that room. It's probably more than half of y'all going to be in there, so – Every day you have to come in with a mindset of what you're going to do to make yourself stand out while doing your job. So, 
that was probably one of the, the best things that's happened to me. But on top of playing with Coach Saban, I mean, he's the greatest of all time. Hands down. There's not really a question about it. Uh, and, you know, the other coaches that were there as well, Coach Charles Kelly, uh, someone that I knew since high school from my recruitment days. Uh, I had Carl Scott and then my last year. Uh, I was very thankful to have Jay Vali, uh, someone that I still consider very close to me to this day, even though we've both moved on from, you know, Alabama. But um, speaking on just Coach Saban, he's a great Jalen Armand Davis, our guest here on the final drive this afternoon. And the Baltimore Ravens have the connection with you, and you also have Michael Pierce there, and, of course, the Alabama connection that you have to the position player Marlon Humphrey, who is an all-pro, Pro Bowl-type guy. What have you been able to learn from one Marlon Humphrey and not only his time at Alabama, but his time with the Ravens and his knowledge being dropped upon you? Um, well, I think we kind of came in with similar things just because of what we went through at Alabama. And that's just how it works, just knowing how to practice, uh, knowing how to approach every step that leads into the season and even every step from within the season and what it takes to win and to ultimately be a champion. Um, but I still could say, even though we've both been through Alabama, seeing him practice in person because we weren't on campus at the same time, the way he approaches practice, is you know you really can't tell if he if he's playing the game or if he's practicing if you didn't really know the setting because he's doing the same speed all the time. Um, he has the same intensity for the most part all the time, which you know it's easy to see why he does the things he does on Sundays because he does it every single day. So uh, it's it's a very difficult task to put to ask of anyone. It's easy to say. But to go out there and do it every single day for as long as the NFL season is, I think that's one of the biggest things that you could pick up from watching uh, Martin. How awesome is it to know that you do have somebody else here from the Gulf Coast and that being defensive tackle Michael Pierce on the same type side of the football as you? And then when you flip across the way, knowing that you have Lamar Jackson to battle against every day in practice, and he's being coached by Mobile's own T. Martin, and the Mobile connection continues there with the Baltimore Ravens organization. Uh, anytime you have someone from, you know, your area um, that just understands you from in and out, you know, just kind of it's the type of vibe that you have around someone. It's not that being around someone that isn't from there is not someone you want to be with, but, you know, just that connection, just the automatic connection when you find out, oh, wait, you're from this area, I'm from this area, it's just all the instant sparks right there and there. So, um, you know, especially when you're new to the team, my rookie year, you just – Finding the guys that you gravitate to, that's always a plus. And uh, going against Lamar and T. Martin, that's obviously a big challenge. But, you know, I don't really think it's a bigger challenge for when you play someone else. Going against someone like Lamar Jackson, he's probably the most dynamic player, offense or defensive, in the NFL, if you ask me. So, um, I mean, it's a plus for both of us. I mean, it helps me get better um, going against someone like that every single day. It doesn't get much better. It's the best you can ask for. Jalen Armour Davis, our guest today. Jalen, staying on Lamar Jackson, obviously uh, 
Ravens make a, pu a bunch of moves this offseason to help out the offense and probably make your life more difficult in practice, bringing in Odell Beckham and drafting Zay Flowers in the first round. Obviously, Mark Andrews still around. Rashad Bateman should be healthy. Just how much do you think that's going to help you going up against what's really now an elite group of pass catchers every day in practice? Oh, a ton. You know, you never shy away from anything like that. If you play defensive back and you're in the NFL, you never look at a situation like that and view it as something negative or, oh, man, I got to deal with that. You don't have to deal with it. You, you get an opportunity to go out there and play with guys like that and to be able to improve your game. And, you know, don't step out there thinking about how difficult it can make it on you. Think about how you can make it difficult for them, even though they're good players. That's how you become a good player within yourself. Uh, and, you know, we can date back to days at Alabama. If we list off the type of quarterbacks and the type of receivers, that I had to, you know, got a chance to compete with within my four years, you know, that's it's just part of the DNA at this point. It's just in my blood to want to go against guys like that and compete every day. It's been a while since the Ravens have had an opportunity to play for a Super Bowl, and this is one of those rosters that are being composed and being built for you guys to return back to the Super Bowl. But you win a state high school football championship. You win a national championship. The only thing left for you to do to continue to fill out that complete resume and be like the Sherman Williams of the world, Blunt, Alabama, and yeah. then with the Dallas Cowboys, to win that world championship. What would it mean to you to have that completed resume and to be a world champion? Obviously, it would mean a lot to me. It would mean the world. Uh, not even so much because of the resume. You know, you saying that to me makes me, you know, reminiscing all those times. Like, man, we really did win three state titles. and yeah. We did win Alabama and all that. But, um, you know, it would just be more important for me just because I, I love to win and I hate to lose. I think I hate losing more than I like winning. So, um, you know, it would just be what they need to want to be at the top whenever – Everything is over. Just to, just to know that you won the ultimate goal in the NFL, which is to win the Super Bowl. So you know, it would be nice on the resume and all that. Completed the you know the highest the highest achievement at every level. But more importantly, I just want to win every game, the Super Bowl included. Jalen, you did win a lot of games at Alabama. Is there one that sticks out as your favorite? have to be the championship against Ohio State. Uh, one, that was the, the only national championship that I got while I was there. But I think that was probably the toughest season. Uh, I think it's a season that may get overlooked a little bit. I think, you know, during that COVID year, that was difficult uh, as it is just dealing with COVID and the restrictions and everything around it. No fans. That makes it a little tougher. And for us, we had an all-SEC schedule until the playoffs. So that was that was never a time where you could even think about taking a week off, and um, we were able to overcome that. Obviously, we had some great players, three guys in the Heisman race. One of them won the Heisman, broke multiple records. So I mean, that was a season that was just it's unforgettable. It may, it may be forgettable for some people on the outside looking in, but being on that team is something you would never forget. Well, I, I tell you. One of the things that I've always respected about you is family. Of course, I grew up with your aunt 
and your mom and just having the ability to be around them for a majority of their lives, seeing you transform into not only a father, but as a husband. How has how has that changed your life? Looking in, and knowing that, hey, not only am I I'm an awesome dad, but I'm a husband also. Oh, big time. Um, you know, speaking of my mom, I'm in awe. Make, you know, some crazy sacrifices for myself and and my cousins and all my loved ones around us. They did everything in their power to make sure they took care of their family. So it just rubbed off. Um, you know, they did everything they had to do. So with me, obviously it's different because I'm an athlete, but everything that I have to do, I made sure I get it done because I, I would never want to let my family down. I would never want to let my daughter down or my wife down. I want them to be proud to, you know, be able to represent each other. So, um, you know, having my daughter, which was in the middle of COVID, actually right when COVID started, um, it was it was really a game changer. It just it clicked something different that I didn't even think about. Uh, certain things that I do that I don't even think about. It's just a reaction. Um, and it's always the result of doing what's best for my family. So, you know, it's the best thing that's happened to me, create my own family. And down the line, hopefully my family will grow and they'll be proud of my achievements and I'll be able to provide for them until the day I roll over. Well, I know there are is a tremendous amount of people here in Mobile, Alabama, very proud of you and your achievements and continue to watch you chase your dreams. Now, I have a, a Steve Mask question for you. Coach Mask said he wanted to come back to Mobile and coach, and now he's coaching at Theodore High School. I don't know when the last time is you've had an opportunity to talk to Coach Mask, but what is your biggest moment that you remember with Coach Steve Mask? Moment. Or or funniest uh, or most memorable. Any any or all of the above. I don't know. So many moments. <laughs> so many That's moments. A, a lot of crazy games. Three state titles. It's uh, it's really hard to pick one. Uh, but I mean, just. That's just during my time there. So during my time there, something like three state titles, I think that just speaks on the type of leader that he is and the type of coach that he is. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how much talent was on the team. It didn't matter who was, you know, getting the ball, every player, anything like that. He found a way to, you know, wheel his team and, and put the team together to go to the championship. I think they did, they won after I left. Yeah. I think was it in, was it in, was it in 5A or 6A again? Either way, they won another one. So they that just speaks on the type of leader he is, the type of coach he is. I hate to see him at Theodore, but <laughs> I wish him the success to be able to take them to the championship, knowing him. If they don't win the championship, they'll come close. So, yeah. you know, hats off to him. That's definitely Steve Mass for you. And Jalen Armour Davis, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive. And, and Jalen, I, I know that, you know, OTAs are going on for the rookies and they're getting an opportunity to experience what it's like to to achieve their dreams. But to actually hear your name called uh, in the 2022 draft, what what did that feel like? And what could you share with all the young student athletes that are in college or in high school currently and are waiting their turn to hear their name called? Man, at the time, man, I was numb. Seems like it's like I couldn't feel my feet. 
everything was just moving in slow motion. I didn't, it, it didn't even feel real when it happened. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you get your name called and if you do, when you get your name called. If you get the opportunity, you got to take full advantage of it. Because one thing I learned once I got here is that, you know, your draft pick or anything that comes with it, you could throw that in the trash the moment you walk in the door. And that was something that was the same way at Alabama. You was four or five star. When you get there, your stars, you go ahead and drop that in the trash as soon as you come to the door. Because once we all put our helmet on, once we all put this, this jersey on, we're going to rise to the top by the end of the day. Uh, but the moment itself, it is special. Uh, and, you know, leading up to that moment, do everything in your power to, to get there. You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm blessed that I was able to live through that, to say that, you know, I was able to hear my name called in front of my family, in front of my daughter, my sisters, my mom. Everybody was able to see that with me. It's something that, you know, no one take away. You know, like the guy, you know, Everybody knows you're going to have to go the extra mile. So the days that you wake up and you're thinking about the extra mile and you just don't feel like doing it because everything in it, you're not going to feel like doing it most times. You got to do it. And if you don't, don't expect don't expect the result that you're hoping for. Jalen Armour Davis joins us this afternoon on the final drive. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule, and I definitely want to wish you the best in your rehab and taking the steps to becoming the elite player that we all know that you are and will continue to be and want to wish you. I know I'm a Ravens fan here, especially after meeting your head coach and in, in John Harbaugh last week at Tim, Team Focus. So, Continue to, to be great and continue to be an outstanding husband and father and represent the 251 in your time there at Baltimore. And we'll all continue to root for you, Jalen Armour Davis. Absolutely, always. I appreciate you guys as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and we'll talk again to you very soon. Absolutely. I'll be blessed. Jalen Armour Davis joining us this evening on the final drive. Can't thank him enough. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank Jalen Armour Davis of the Baltimore Ravens for joining us this afternoon. If you happen to miss that interview, of course, we can replay it for you at 5.30. And we'll replay it for you at 5.30. And, of course, WNSP Now is another place that you can hear the entire interview. And, of course, today's show is we have all our shows, whether it's the double team, the batter's box, or Michael Bronner. He loves talking the NFL with his partner, Owen. And that is another phenomenal show that we do have here on WNSP. Oh, you're too kind. Yes, sir, that you can go ahead and, and listen to. And, of course, this weekend we had Orange Beach, the softball champions, for the third consecutive season. They won it in 2A 
in 2021 and 2022. They get bumped up to 4A, no problems there. They continue to win their third straight title, and it's amazing because Orange Beach, the Lady Makos, do so in only their third season of existence as a softball program. and, and three, other Three years in existence, three state titles. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. That means that they're doing something right down in Orange Beach. And, of course, Faith Academy. Chad Applin was their boys basketball coach. He has stepped down and probably will be named the new head boys basketball coach at Spanish Fort, taking the place of Jimbo Tolbert, who left and went to Gulf Shores. And Joey Nevis is from Pace, Florida, and takes over that Faith Academy job. And for the Alabama fans out there, Christian Story is a very familiar name for Lynette High School, his father has been the head coach at Lynette High School, won a couple of state championships there. He stepped away to to focus on being a father as he has his son at Clemson and one of his sons at the University of Alabama. So congratulations to Faith Academy boys basketball team on the new hire of Joey Nevez. And congratulations to the Lady Mako softball program, third straight title in three years in different classifications. The final drive with Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Brauner, is going to be right back. We'll be paying homage to Jim Brown. Pete Smith, who covers the Cleveland Browns, will let us know what's going on in Cleveland to honor one of the greatest running backs of all time, Jim Brown. This is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this magnificent Monday. Hope everyone had a phenomenal and safe weekend and of course as we were doing our show on friday getting ready to come on the air the breaking news of jim brown passing away at the age of 87 hit the airwaves and started to circulate on the internet and across the country and you know wanted to get pete smith on with us this afternoon editor of the browns digest to talk about the, the Cleveland Browns and what Jim Brown not only meant to the Cleveland Browns in bringing them a world championship, but also what he meant as an activist and as an actor and what the Browns' plans are for honoring Jim Brown this season. Pete Smith, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm absolutely blessed by the best. Hope everything's going well with you. We were talking about what they were going to do to honor Jim Brown from the Cleveland Browns standpoint. I know normally they put the decals either on the helmet or on the jersey. Have the Browns made an announcement uh, on how they're going to honor the late Jim Brown? 
No, not yet. I, I assume it's going to be a decal like that, but uh, it'll be interesting be, just because of some of the controversial aspects of his life. They, I mean, they already have a statue in front of the stadium, so they, they, they're, they're pretty well covered. Well, speaking of controversy within an organization, of course, Deshaun Watson and him signing with the Browns was one of those situations that kind of took everybody back. But, you know, with the type of talent that he had, he was going to have to land somewhere. The Browns finished 7-10 and 10 a year ago, and that was the last place in the AFC North. But I know a healthy Deshaun Watson – and him having a whole year to sit and try to get better, that's something that I know a lot of Browns fans are looking forward to. Sure. I mean, for all the, the, the stuff about getting there and practicing and, and all the stuff that you sort of prepare to play football, uh, there's nothing harsher than the feedback of what it's like to play on the field. So, I mean, you can think you're ready to go. You can think you're making all the throws and all this stuff. Uh, but when you're out there, it's different. And now he's got those six games that weren't good of feedback of what he has to improve, what needs to get better, what, where does he still have to go to get back to the form of 2020. And, and the Browns, have, to, to their credit, have done a really good job of building the offense around him, catering it to him. They're going to you know, incorporate more things that he did between his time with the Houston Texans and even back to Clemson to, to make sure that happens. But that, that experience this past year, I think, uh, in addition to all the stuff that's sort of fueling him, I mean, he, he's like everybody else. He's going to use all this to to make him a, a more determined player to prove everybody wrong about his his demise and everything else. Even the, if these things are largely his own of his own doing, uh, it's all there for him to be the quarterback that this team needs. Well, he's going to have an offensive weapon that was drafted in Cedric Tillman. Any other? big-time offensive playmakers that Deshaun Watson is going to have around him to, to make the Browns a contender? Or will they just stay in the basement and, and find a way to, to make it the 2024-25 year and the draft to get better? Well, Amari Cooper, was they, they acquired him right before they got uh, Watson last year, and Amari Cooper had a great year. David Njoku has a strong year as, as their tight end, and then uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones had a, a solid uh, third year. This offseason, before they got Cedric Tillman, in the trade that enabled them to get the pick, they made a, a swap with the New York Jets, sending their second-round pick to uh, the Jets for Elijah Moore, uh, in addition to the, the third-round pick they used to get Tillman. They've also got last year's uh, third-round pick, David Bell, and, and they even signed uh, Marquise Goodwin as a weapon. But, the, you know, they feel like Elijah Moore was sort of uh, languishing with the Jets, has a lot of talent, offers speed, gives them somebody who can operate in the slot, play that Z. But, I mean, they, they feel very confident in the weaponry they have, which is all before you get to what, you know, what has been their bread and butter, which has been Nick Chubb and the offensive line. We're talking to Pete Smith, editor of Browns Digest. I'll, I'll ask you about Amari Cooper again in a second, but I do want to ask you another question about Jim Brown, just like where he stacks up amongst Cleveland sports legends. I, he's got to be right up there, if not just a, a nose ahead of LeBron, no? He's, he's number one. I mean, he just is. And LeBron's, LeBron's a phenomenal player, but the thing with Jim Brown is that you know, there are guys who have been there longer with the Browns who have won more championships, like Otto Graham. Otto Graham won more, obviously won more championships. Uh, players like Clay Matthews Jr. played there longer than Jim Brown, but Jim Brown was the best uh, at, at 
at every you know every step of the way. Eight of his nine seasons, he led the league in rushing, 104.3 yards per game rushing, 5.22 yards per carry, and the best number of all for him is zero. Zero games missed in his entire career. In fact, Jim Brown was never helped off the field in his entire career. And part of his legend is the fact that he went out when he did. You never had a game where he looked old or even mortal. He always looked like the best thing that's ever been seen, which is why even you know, into the 1980s when he was 50, you still saw uh, articles written about, is he going to come back to the NFL? Because that's how revered he was. Uh, just an unbelievable competitor and everything else. And, and obviously there's some th- things that came along with that. He had a, a legendary temper and, and pride uh, that, that, you know, caused him to be great in some ways and, and caused him to be problematic in others. But uh, Jim Brown, you know, you compare to Le- like LeBron James, if you're watching the, you know, the, him play for the Lakers right now, it, you know, you've seen him look older he's 38 he's still one of the best players in the world but you see him sort of slowing down that never happened for jim brown and that's part of what he why he's such a revered player that's why he's number one and he casts such a big shadow and and that's the other thing he lived to be 87 years old and you know i love the nfl and and football but that's a that's a reality that's becoming rarer to see guys live as long as he did and he had second and third acts in his life so he casts a huge shadow over cleveland and that's why he's he's it's going to be difficult to ever be better than he was in terms of how he's thought of in cleveland Amari Cooper, obviously you can make the argument down here that he's one of, if not the greatest Alabama receiver of all time, right there with Julio and Devontae Smith at this point. But I feel like that trade was kind of thought of with the, with the Cowboys before the season as an afterthought. It's like, oh, Amari Cooper's coming from the Cowboys. Like, all right, he might have an okay season. Then he had really what was a phenomenal season for Cleveland. Uh, did that exceed your expectations for him? I mean, it had to have, right? I, honestly, I think he, he did about what you thought he would do because McCart- Mark Cooper has been sort of the most boring, great receiver in the NFL the past several years. Obviously, you know, with, with C.D. Lamb and some other things, you know, Mark Cooper sort of became like this number two guy, but then the second they took him off that team, that offense was sort of lost without him. Uh, the thing with Cooper is he's people get lost in the fact that he's, one, he's fast, and two, he's 215 pounds. He's a big guy. So part of what makes him effective is it's difficult for smaller DBs to tackle him, and he can overpower guys and get open. So he just does a lot of things well. He's a great route runner. Uh, and, you know, he, he really set the table for all the other weapons they had. Amari Cooper was easily their number one, which put David Njoku in the right position for him and really set, set Donovan Peoples-Jones up to have the best season of his career. So the Browns in general like to play big weapons, like, Four of their receivers who are going to play this year are well over 200 pounds, and that's something they want to use to advantage him, and Mari Cooper embodies all of that. Dalvin Tomlinson, he's a former Bama guy, disruptive at the defensive line position. Coming to the Cleveland Browns, what are the expectations of Tomlinson being in the league for five or six years now to be a disruptor on the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, they needed a big interior presence to help with the running game. They needed a big interior presence to help collapse the pocket and and not lost in the fact that they needed an adult. 
the Browns' defense didn't have many of those last year. Miles Garrett's a phenomenal player. They have guys like Denzel Ward, some of these other. But so many of those players were super young on that team and didn't know any better. Uh, part of Dalvin Tomlinson is he is a he is a grown man who understands how to be a professional and he's going to shore up the interior help them in a number of places and provide some leadership and professionalism that group needed uh you know playing against a team like the pittsburgh steelers who are going to want to try to run the ball a lot this year the baltimore ravens and just being able to put pressure on the interior against the likes of joe burrow and some of these other quarterbacks is is why they were willing to spend as much as they were for him he he uh, is a big piece to what they want to do on this defense bringing in jim Schwartz as defensive coordinator. Obviously, they just traded for Zadarius Smith. They signed uh, Abanya Okoronkwo on the, uh, to be another pass rusher. They've invested heavily to make this work, and, and Tomlinson was sort of the, the start of that. Well, the Cleveland Browns, again, being a historic franchise that's itching and scratching and clawing and wanting another world championship to come to the Cleveland Browns. You mentioned earlier that not quite sure what they're going to do in order to honor Jim Brown this season but Jim Brown easiest easiest the the greatest running back of all time in the NFL and just the versatility that he played in lacrosse basketball and football do you think that we'll ever see another college athlete come along to where they can run the trifecta there the way that Bo Jackson did or Deion Sanders and of course the one and only Jim Brown yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. It, I think that's just a, a bygone era between like Jim Brown and Jackie Robinson, who played in a, an insane number of sports for UCLA. Even Will Chamberlain at, at, at Kansas running track. It's just the, the the world we live in is so super specialized. It's really hard to do that. I mean, they're 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 players who who will play two sports. You'll see guys in football run track and some of those other things. But it's it's so hyper specialized with the, the, the training and 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 year round everything that you can't just go from sport to sport like you could in that that day and age. And you know, obviously guys weren't lifting and training the same way they are now, which is a different aspect. I mean, those guys like Jim Brown, like Jackie Robinson, like Wilt Chamberlain were just born that way and were phenomenal athletes, and nobody could compare to them. So it it, it certainly helped that they were able to do all these things. Well, Pete, how can everyone follow all of your coverage of the great things that are going on in Cleveland sports along with the Cleveland Browns especially? Uh, you can find us at uh, si.com slash NFL slash Browns. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. And, uh, yeah, you can follow us uh, or, or follow the Browns Digest account either way. Pete Smith joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Can't thank you enough for taking time to kind of reminisce a little bit about Jim Brown and catch up and, again, talk about the current sta state of the Cleveland Browns incoming 2023 season. Thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Pete Smith on the final drive this afternoon. And, of course, don't forget, if you missed the Jalen Armour Davis interview, you can catch back up with us at 530 and on WNSP now to hear that interview. And, of course, at 5 o'clock, we will have Cole Kublik joining us here. Excuse me, Zach Blackerby joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNSP. 
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And on Monday afternoons, of course, we bring you the golf report. Brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Product and Services, with my man John Rachetti, and, of course, PGA Championship, Brooks Kepka. He's able to win that championship, and I don't care if you're a PGA golfer or a live golfer, at the end of the day, Brooks Kepka, he, he, he played a, a great four rounds of golf this weekend, John. Well, uh, you're right on, Corey. I mean, uh, this guy is built for major championships. He's got the killer instinct. He's got the charisma and everything else you want to You talk about guys that play professional golf. And uh, I think next to Tiger Woods, he could be the strongest, sec, you know, second strongest mental uh, mind in the game of golf. Um, you know, you look at his last 22 starts in major championships, five wins. Ten top fives. Uh, I think he's got four runners up. Just incredible stat he's had in his last 22 majors. Um, you know, and he hasn't played in a while, and he's look what he did at the Masters, had the lead going into the final round. And yesterday I thought it was just a brilliant performance on a very, very difficult golf course, Oak Hill. So I was pulling for him yesterday, and uh, I was glad even though uh, Victor Hovland did get a unfortunate break but you know, I always remember what Tiger Woods said to be good you got to be lucky and catch some breaks and I'm not saying Brooks would have not have won but he caught a monumental break uh, on the 16th, 16th hole when Victor Hovland made a double bogey. John am I am I crazy? I, I don't think I am when I say this and I think Rom is is, is going to make his case over the next half decade, decade or so. But I, I think we can say at this point that Brooks Kepka is probably the best player of this generation. Ooh, man, that's a big statement, Bronner. Huge statement. Actually, pretty good question. He just uh, passed. We'll talk about it tonight, uh, but he just passed Rory and Majors. Like, like who else? Well, you know, I, you know my take on Rory. I think Rory, Ma even though he did have a good tournament. Yeah, he did. I think Credit Rory McIlroy, I mean, but he's After the biggest, start. in my opinion, in the game of golf since Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, as far as talented players in the game, I think he's the biggest underachiever in for a star player in golf. I just think he's got all the accolades to dominate golf, and for whatever reason, he just can't quite do it. And I think... I'm not saying time's running out. Still got a lot of time, but, you know, he's getting a little older, and these young guns are coming behind him, and uh, they're really good. But let's uh, – to say he's better than John Rahm? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I mean, on, on – what's that? I wouldn't say that, but, I mean, Kepka's been dominating since before Rahm has been dominating. So, again, I think Rahm can stake that claim over the next five years or so. But if you're talking my, – my generation is what I mean. So, the last, like, decade, I, I think Kepka has a strong case. This is now five majors. The guy just churns out majors. Well, I'll agree with you there, brother. I'll agree with you there. He's uh... – He's got it. Go I mean, he's got, he's got it going on. No question about it. And you know, he comes with persona that people think he's got this arrogant, dominating personality. But he's very oh, liked on the PGA Tour. I mean, players really like him. And they—I don't know if you picked up this comment yesterday, but they act because the big, 
big elephant in the room now is where does Brooke Kepka stand as far as Ryder Cup? We know he's number two in the points, but he's only got two more opportunities to secure an automatic berth in the top six. And I don't know if it's a slam dunk case if he finishes eighth in the points list, only playing in four events, that they take him. I don't know it's an honor. I would because I definitely tell you he's in the top 12 American players in golf. Period. No questions exactly. asked. I'll tell you why Period. it's a slam dunk he's case. Definitely. He's the best American golfer right now. Well, I, I will ask you this. If he's the best American golfer, did any, either one of y'all think that Michael Block could take the thunder away from Brooks Kepka winning it? A, a club pro. Uh, he was a side story, and I mean, listen, what he accomplished was incredible, okay? Let's give credit where credit is due. He, I mean, the two pars he made on the last two holes were absolutely spectacular. I mean, it was just, it was his week because no, he had no business par in the last two holes, but he did it, and that, that achieved him getting in the top 15, and by the way, Charles Schwab on the PGA Tour just gave him a sponsor's exemption into the tour event. So uh, that's what he does. He, st- he, he was the sideshow, no question. Brooks, number one. Michael Block, number two. And you can forget the rest of them because those are the two show. They were the two stories of that tournament. But back to uh, you're saying the best American player, uh, I, would, I would have to agree, uh, Bronner. Corey, I would agree that, that uh, Mike uh, Brooks Kepka is the best American player. But now the point to see is where does this story go um, with him on the Ryder Cup team and so forth. So I believe he should be on it. Uh, some people say no, some say yes, but uh, I'm all in favor of it. And I, I strongly believe that he will probably earn his spot on it. So the, that'll never even come up. The best thing that could happen, actually, is for him to just earn his spot and in this way, they won't have to get politics and whether he should be, he's lived, you can't put a live player on, blah, blah, blah. He should earn his spot. Bingo, this conversation's over. Well, I will ask you this. I know there'll be more story to be told tonight on the Miller Lite John Rochetti show. I know that everyone can look forward to hearing about that coming up right after the final drive. John, looking forward to your show. All right, guys, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. John Rochetti joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Top of the hour coming up here on the final drive. Zach Blackerby joins us next. Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. 
Welcome back to hour number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, joined by my producer, Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And, of course, you can get in touch with us on the app as well. And Auburn, it's a place to where... There's a lot going on, not only from a softball standpoint, from a baseball standpoint. You had a lot of action in the transfer portal with Hugh Freeze, and Hugh Freeze has not been the busiest coach in America in the transfer portal. That would probably be Deion Sanders. That would go to Deion Sanders totally U-hauling his roster. But there, there's been some changes in Auburn's defensive and offensive lineup since we went off the air on Friday and who better to talk about the Auburn Tigers and the additions and subtractions that have been made than Zach Blackerby. He is host of Locked On Auburn. Zach, good afternoon and thanks for joining us here on the final drive. Hey, of course, guys, of course. Yeah, it was a, it was a busy weekend for the Tigers, but and when it comes to building the 2023 roster, it seems like Q Freeze is about out of scholarship. So it seems like he's almost done. And, and that's what's interesting, though, because Auburn received its 21st commitment from the portal this weekend. 42 new players since the end or the beginning, rather, of Hugh Freeze taking over as head coach. Of course, Shane Hooks, the wide receiver from Jackson State, was added along with Hugh Freeze's former defensive end, Stephen Sings and Cyrus Dumas from New Mexico State, a defensive back, was added also to this Auburn roster. I think depth and competition is what's going to be very important for Auburn, and it looks like Coach Freeze is definitely going that direction. Yeah, yeah, and I think Shane Hooks can come in and, and start. I think he can at least compete for it, make that battle a little interesting because they continue to go out and get outside wide receivers that are in situations where they need to play right away. And so I think that's sending a message to his current roster as well as kind of saying, hey, these new guys, they certainly got a shot. And they're more like what you see Hugh Freeze traditionally have on the outside, these bigger body dudes. So, you know, Hooks is 6'5", 200, which is great. And it seems like he knows how to do it. So uh, that that's certainly encouraging. Yeah, then you mentioned Dumas. He, he's, he's an interesting – because, look, Auburn's cornerback room may be their best position. But, you know, if one or two of those guys goes down, all of a sudden that looks a lot different. So I, I think with Dumas, you're able to kind of pitch depth and special teams this year, and then, you know, Auburn's going to lose a lot of guys to the NFL in the defensive backfield. So maybe that's part of your pitch. Come in, learn the system, be one of the guys the following season. I think that'll be his final year of eligibility. So perhaps that's the angle there. And then, uh, yeah, you mentioned Steve Sings, who played for Hugh Freeze at Liberty. I think that's a similar situation. I, I think he's probably the fourth best Jack linebacker on this team, but you need you need four Jack linebackers to, to play in the SEC, those edge-rushing, uh, pass-rushing type players. And so uh, there's going to be situations where Auburn wants to put two Jacks on the field, so you need four guys that you feel comfortable playing. So um, they all make sense, I think, for different reasons. And you look at it from top to bottom, from the first transfer that they added to the 21st transfer that they added over the weekend, 
they all make sense on the roster for different reasons. And, and I think um, I think that's what Auburn fans like about what Hugh Freeze has done so far. It all seems strategic, not just going out, casting a net and seeing what you catch. They all seem um, super planned and super kind of specific as far as, hey, you're going to do this on the roster. So it all makes sense. Now, does that turn into more wins this year, uh, this season? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's certainly going to be what it all comes down to, and really the only thing that Hugh Freeze cares about is can they win more games this fall? Um, they're going to be a lot more talented than a year ago, so we'll see. We're talking to Zach Blackerby, Locked On Auburn. Yeah, Zach, I was reading what you wrote today kind of on ranking of the three transfers from over the weekend. Sure. Who, yeah, Wonderful words written by Zach Blackerby on who was going to have the, the most impact of, of the three, and you, you ranked Hooks uh, the, uh, the first of the three. I was just curious, like, is that more a thing of Hooks is the best player of the three, which numbers-wise would reflect. I mean, he certainly played the most. Not that... Uh, not that Sings and and uh, Dumas haven't played; they have, but yeah. Hook, Hook mm -hmm. certainly has more, you know, eye popping numbers. He's a receiver, so but more eye popping numbers than the other two. Do you see it more as just the receiver room is so barren that they need a guy like that, or do you see it as he really is the best player of the three? I think both. Uh, I mean, I, I think his path to playing time is clearer than the other two with Dumas with the corner situation. Um, I just think there's always going to be guys in front of him, but it seems like he just wanted to get to Auburn. I think that was important to him. And he may be from Homewood. I think I read that. So, you know, I think closer to home was a big part of why he wanted to be at Auburn so bad. And then things, I, I think things will have a role, um, but he's never, he's never going to be, higher on the depth chart than Keldrick Falk. So, like, as far as guys that could start, I think Hooks is the only one. So, I think that was pretty much my thinking with ranking those three guys. Well, Zach, when we transition from football to baseball, as the SEC tournament gets started tomorrow, is Auburn one of the hottest, if not the hottest team in the country right now? I don't know what else you would want them to do to say they're not the hottest, right? I mean, to, to win your last eight straight and what they won five straight uh, series against really good SEC teams, or some of them have been really good SEC teams, I don't know what else you want out of this club. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And this was a team that was first four out in the, the bracketology. Vert. I know they don't call it that, but, you know, the, the postseason projections. And now – now they're projected to host because their RPI is so high. They finished the season so strong. And they've done this in like a month and a half. I mean, it's been pretty incredible. Now, part of the SEC, you know, the person playing in the SEC is like you've got that in front of you, right? Like not everybody gets the opportunity to play the number two team on the road and host the number one team back-to-back uh, -back weekends. But Auburn was able to do that. And going into it, you're like, man, if Auburn could just steal one game in both of those and – you know, they won both those series, and then, you know, sweeping Missouri was big and sweeping Ole Miss. And, I mean, all of these all of these was such a big part of, you know, finishing the season strong. I think, yeah, I think they are the hottest team in the country. I do think there's still questions regarding certain aspects of, you know, how they're doing this, like how sustainable is this pitching staff because they seem to continue to get – beat up a little bit, and even when they start to seem like they're getting healthy, you know, 
uh, Vale gets sick and, you know, he misses. He only, only pitched like two innings this past weekend. Um, it just seems like there's always kind of been a bug, you know, an injury bug or, you know, a, uh, some kind of illness going around this pitching staff. But maybe, maybe they're peaking at the right time. If they play like they have the last few weeks, they can beat anybody in college baseball. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to go ahead and make it back to the College World Series because even though you have a different roster, it's still the same mentality. Unfinished business when a team makes it to the College World Series the way Auburn did a year ago and wanting to find its way back there to, yeah. to playing for another national championship. Right. Right, yeah, and, you know, a lot of these guys did play on last year's team, but sure, it's certainly a new makeup, and you lost your stars from a year ago, and you've replaced them and reloaded because that's what you have to do to continually win in the SEC, and Butch Thompson has shown that he's able to do that. And also, Butch Thompson has shown that he knows how to win regionals, and a lot of that has to do with pitching and really winning that first game if you're a top seed, and it seems like, um, it seems like Auburn's going to be in a situation to do that. I saw a projection earlier today that they would be hosting and the two seed would be Troy. And that's a situation you got to feel pretty good about if you're Auburn. So if it all unfolds that way, I mean, because the biggest thing was like, okay, even if Auburn's a two seed, just don't go to the Wake Forest Regional and you've got a chance. And it seems like that is kind of out the window. I don't even know if that's a possibility anymore, regardless of if they go one and done and lose uh, in Hoover. But, yeah, they're in, a, they're in a great spot. And, look, playing well at the end of the season matters. Peaking late matters. We talk about with basketball in March Madness all the time. You know, who's playing the best, uh, the best ball in March? Well, you know, who's playing the best ball when regionals and Supers roll around? Right now, it seems like it's Auburn going into it. I'm going to start asking you this, Zach, maybe every other week or so. But I'd like your prediction for how many games Auburn is going to win. Um, so last week I said Auburn was an elite pass rusher or a key pass rusher away from me changing my prediction from seven and five to eight and four. I know they added Steve Sings. I'm not quite ready. I, I don't think that did enough to move the bar for me. So I'm staying at seven and five still, but it, it's easy to see where the upside is. But, you know, I, I think Auburn wins all of their non-conference games. I think they win Vanderbilt. And I think they – I think they uh, split the Mississippi schools that they have at home. And I think they win in Vanderbilt, so that gets you to six. And I think they win either in Texas A&M or at Arkansas. So that's, uh, I think that's how they get to seven. Well, that's not too shabby in regards to what a first-year head coach can produce yeah. because Nick Saban, seven and six, his first year at the capstone. And people know how that script has gone for him and and literally turning the tide but as we get ready to to start Auburn baseball I know Auburn softball was eliminated but still having a, a fantastic opportunity to even make it to the tournament yeah and they've had some key young offensive pieces and now so they're entering the transfer portal which is concerning you know Mickey Dean he's a he's a pitching coach um and the offensive game plan, I don't know a whole lot about softball. That is not my sport, and I certainly respect it. But folks that know a lot more about that sport, and specifically Auburn's situation, way more about that than, than I do, talk about how you know offensive approach and offensive game plan and strategy has been an issue with Mickey Dean, even when they were playing their best ball this season. Mm -hmm. 
and you're going to lose some of your young key offensive players if that continues to be the case. That's both. Uh, that's why players love the transfer portal, and that's why coaches don't because you know if you don't do a good job, there's a little bit of accountability that there hasn't been in the past. So um, he's going to have to reload. Um, he, you know, he lost some of the best freshmen in the conference, and so we'll uh, we'll certainly see how Mickey Dean responds to that. Well, one last blast from the past for Auburn is former Auburn quarterback Joey Gatewood making a move to the ACC. Of course, he played quarterback at Auburn, and now he's having an opportunity here to transfer to Louisville to finish up his career. Joey Gatewood, is that a name you thought you would hear again from an Auburn Tiger standpoint? Man, it's wild. That's so wild. And, And, you know, I got fairly close to his camp while he was at Auburn. Um, and kind of, you know, just talking to them every day after practice when when Gatewood and Knicks were battling for that job. Gosh, that seems like forever ago, Corey. Yes, it, what, his sixth year of college football, his yeah. fourth team. Yeah. Um, a position change in there. You know, he's a skill player now. So we'll, um, we'll see. I wish him nothing but the best. I think Joey's a good kid. I think he um, – I think he kind of took some bad advice down the road at some point. So, well, uh, I hope he turns it around. Zach Blackerby, you always turn things around when people listen to the host of Locked On Auburn, and you can find you at The Auburn Daily. Tell everyone, again, how they can follow you and everything that's going on, especially with the Auburn football world. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 hit, you hit the nail on the head there. Locked On Auburn, available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Uh, which is cool, and then AuburnDaily.com, that's Sports Illustrated's Auburn coverage. And, hey, if you're into the Atlanta Braves, you can check out our SI Braves coverage. That is at BravesToday.com as well. Can't thank you enough for taking time to join us this evening, and thank you for, again, all your knowledge and dropping those nuggets here on the final drive. Hey, and sorry about the last-minute thing last week. My in-laws were in town, so let's all blame them. No worries. Enough said right there. want to thank you for, again, (laughs) joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again next week, Zach. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one. The Final Drive will be right back. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, I want to congratulate the Orange Beach Lady Makos. Third straight title in three years, only three years of existence of this softball program. They won the state championship in 21 and 22 in 2A. This year, they had to jump up to 4A and are state champions once again. Faith Academy hiring a new boys basketball coach. Joey Nevez is from Pace, Florida. He'll be taking over for Chad Applin, who will be moving probably over to Spanish Fort. And, of course, Jimbo Tolbert left Spanish Fort to take the Gulf Shores job. So just a a cycle of high school coaches that are going on right there. Of course, Alabama softball wins this weekend. They will host Northwestern in a Super Regional best of three there and Bama baseball will be getting the bat swinging tomorrow single elimination they have to beat the Kentucky Wildcats tomorrow afternoon and NBA tonight 
the Lakers, will they officially become the fakers and the chokers and be swept out of the playoffs, Michael Braun, or that's something to keep an eye on? We'll see. I, I, I think the Lakers win one. I think the Celtics get swept and the Lakers win one. Carmelo Anthony also retires today from the game of basketball. Tenth uh, time All-Star, ten-time NBA All-Star, ninth in the history of scoring in the NBA. Coming up next, we have Jalen Armour Davis. If you missed that interview with the former St. Paul Saints, national champion at the University of Alabama and of course now playing for the Baltimore Ravens. You don't want to miss the 5:30 interview with Jalen Armour Davis being played again here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from the Gator Boys and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening this Monday afternoon. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. And again, tuning in to the final drive with Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Brauner, this afternoon. Always a pleasure to speak to our next guest, Jalen Armour Davis, currently of the Baltimore Ravens. And last week, John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, was able to come down here to Mobile, Alabama and speak on why he loves drafting Alabama players and what it means to come from an Alabama program. But Jalen Armour Davis is no stranger to championships, having won a state championship at St. Paul's and then turning around and winning a national championship at the University of Alabama and now with the franchise with the Baltimore Ravens to where when Jalen gets healthy, folks, watch out. He's going to be one of those Pro Bowl cornerbacks. Jalen, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Good afternoon. I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and just to continue to watch your growth. And as I mentioned moments ago, Jalen, I, I want you to hear the comments that were made by your head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, mm -hmm. when he was down here at Team Focus last week. Okay. They were both hurt last year. Can you maybe tell us how they might be doing this time around? Great question. Yeah, Jalen uh, Armour Davis had a kind of a little hip injury that he had. He actually got it. I think he had it coming in a little bit, you know, kind of the remnants of, of the college career and fought through it for as long as he could. Really did a great job. Although he'll tell you it affected him. So I can't wait to see him out there. He's, he's doing rehab right now, so he'll be ready to go. Michael Pierce. That's John Harbaugh, your head coach, when he came down and asked about you and specifically about Alabama players in general, why he loves drafting Alabama players and the fact that with you coming back from that injury, how are you feeling right now and are you ready to go here for this 2023-24 season? Oh, man, I'm uh, I'm feeling really, really good. Uh, still got a couple more steps that I would like to make heading into the season, but I think by the time the season comes around, we'll be in a really good place. Um, but I'm happy with where I am. You know, I've had some ups and downs. Uh, obviously, last season, you know, something that I wanted to push through as, I, as long as I could. It was something that had to be taken care of regardless, but, you know, I would rather push through something until I couldn't rather than just, you know, make that decision on the front end. So, um, you know, I'm glad Coach Harbaugh sees the same way that I do. I think we're all on the same page. So, 
you know, when the season comes around, it'll, it'll be a good time. Well, I tell you, you know, you're one of those dogs on the field, and meaning that it's going to take something. There's a difference between being hurt and being injured in the NFL, yeah. especially when you're getting paid those elite dollars. And even when you were in Alabama, I think coming in as mm-hmm. a freshman, if it wasn't for a torn knee, injury that you would have played your freshman season and just being able to battle back and fight through adversity it's not only helped you on the football field it's helped you off the football field in life also right 100 percent. yeah adversity is something that's not really new to me uh unfortunately injuries isn't new to me but you know anything that's cut me off the field was an injury it's never like you said being hurt and being injured is two totally different things so um, you know, the injuries that I've had were, were pretty serious injuries, but I always find my way back. Uh, you know, the thing about me, I'm always find a way to win. And it don't matter what I'm doing, whether we're on the field, off the field, uh, being a husband, being a father, being a son, it doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way to win through any adversity that I'm faced. So, and like you said, you know, my time at Alabama, it's, you know, I think the ACL was probably one of the best things that happened to me because it was my first time dealing with a type of adversity that I had never dealt with before. You know, not being able to play for a whole season, and it was something that wasn't my choice. You know, it was nothing, something, it was nothing I couldn't have did differently, you know, to keep me from tearing that ACL. So, uh, you know, this things that it, something like this doesn't bother me, uh, whether it's, it's a media or just going through it, the physical or mental part of it. It's just, it's just another obstacle that I'm, I know I get around like I usually do. So, yeah, you know, it'll be nothing in the future. Speaking with Jalen Armour Davis, former St. Paul Saint, former Alabama corner, current Baltimore Raven. Jalen, getting to play DB at Alabama, I mean, it's the position group that Nick Saban probably coaches up the most. Just what was that experience like, getting hands-on with probably the greatest college football coach of all time? Well, one, it was the reason I went to Alabama because it was I knew it was going to get the absolute best out of me. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, over time, you know, every year, it just felt like I was progressing in ways that wasn't so much about, you know, your physical progression. It was just mentally how you see the game, how you see the position, how you react to certain things. And like we were just saying, the adversity, of, you know, just being at Alabama in general, you know, not just the receivers and people you're going to see in college uh, on the other side. But, you know, the guys that you in the room with, you know, you're not the only one that's going to the NFL that's in that room. It's probably more than half of y'all going to be in there. So every day you have to come in with a mindset of what you're going to do to make yourself stand out while doing your job. So um, that was probably one of the, the best things that's happened to me. But on top of playing with Coach Davis, I mean, he's the greatest of all time. It's hands down. There's not really a question about it. Uh, and, you know, the other coaches that would go as well, Coach Charles Kelly, the uh, one that I knew since high school from our recruitment days. Uh, I had Carl Scott and then my last year, uh, I was very thankful to have Jay Valai, uh, someone that I still consider very close to me to this day, even though we've both moved on from, you know, Alabama. But um, speaking on just Coach Saban, he's a great Jalen Armour Davis, our guest here on the final drive this afternoon. And the Baltimore Ravens have the connection with you, and you also have Michael Pierce there. And, of course, the Alabama connection that you have to the position player, Marlon Humphrey, who is an all-pro, Pro Bowl-type guy. What have you been able to learn from one Marlon Humphrey and 
not only his time at Alabama, but his time with the Ravens and his knowledge being dropped upon you? Um, well, I think we kind of came in with similar things just because of what we went through at Alabama. And that's just how it worked, just knowing how to practice, uh, knowing how to approach every step that leads into the season and even every step from within the season and what it takes to win and to ultimately be a champion. Um, but I still could say, even though we've both been through Alabama, seeing him practice in person because we weren't on campus at the same time, the way he approaches practice, is you know you really can't tell if he if he's playing the game or if he's practicing if you didn't really know the setting because he's doing the same speed all the time. Um, he has the same intensity for the most part all the time, which you know it's easy to see why he does the things he does on Sundays because he does it every single day. So uh, it's it's a very difficult task to put to ask of anyone. It's easy to say. But to go out there and do it every single day for as long as the NFL season is, I think that's one of the biggest things that you could pick up from watching uh, Martin. How awesome is it to know that you do have somebody else here from the Gulf Coast and that being defensive tackle Michael Pierce on the same type side of the football as you? And then when you flip across the way, knowing that you have Lamar Jackson to battle against every day in practice, and he's being coached by Mobile's own T. Martin, and the Mobile connection continues there with the Baltimore Ravens organization. Anytime you have someone from, you know, your area um, that just understands you from in and out, you know, just kind of it's the type of vibe that you have around someone. It's not that being around someone that isn't from there is not someone you want to be with, but, you know, just that connection, just the automatic connection when you find out, oh, wait, you're from this area, I'm from this area, it's just all the just sparks right there and there. So, um, you know, especially when you're new to the team, my rookie year, you just – Finding the guys that you gravitate to, that's always a plus. And uh, going against Lamar and T. Martin, that's obviously a big challenge. But, you know, I don't really think it's a bigger challenge for when you play someone else. Going against someone like Lamar Jackson, he's probably the most dynamic player, offense or defensive, in the NFL, if you ask me. So, uh, I mean, it's a plus for both of us. I mean, it helps me get better uh, going against someone like that every single day. It doesn't get much better. It's the best you can ask for. Jalen Armour Davis, our guest today. Jalen, staying on Lamar Jackson, obviously uh, Ravens make a, a bunch of moves this offseason to help out the offense and probably make your life more difficult in practice, bringing in Odell Beckham and drafting Zay Flowers in the first round. Obviously, Mark Andrews still around. Rashad Bateman should be healthy. Just how much do you think that's going to help you going up against what's really now an elite group of pass catchers every day in practice? Oh, a ton. You know, you never shy away from anything like that. If you play defensive back and you're in the NFL, you never look at a situation like that and view it as something negative or, oh, man, I got to deal with that. You don't have to deal with it. You, you get an opportunity to go out there and play with guys like that and to be able to improve your game. And, you know, don't step out there thinking about how difficult it can make it on you. Think about how you can make it difficult for them, even though they're good players. That's how you become a good player within yourself. Uh, and, you know, we can date back to days at Alabama if we list off the type of quarterbacks and the type of receivers that I had to, you know, got a chance to compete with within my four years, you know, that's it's just part of the DNA at this point. It's just in my blood to want to go against guys like that and compete every day. 
it's been a while since the Ravens have had an opportunity to play for a Super Bowl. And this is one of those rosters that are being composed and being built for you guys to return back to the Super Bowl. But you win a state high school football championship. You win a national championship. The only thing left for you to do to continue to fill out that complete resume and be like the Sherman Williams of the world, Blunt, Alabama, and then with the Dallas Cowboys, to win that world championship. What would it mean to you to have that completed resume and to be a world champion? Uh, obviously, it would mean a lot to me. It would mean the world. Uh, not even so much because of the resume. You know, you saying that to me makes me, you know, reminiscing all those times. Like, man, we really did win three state titles. And yeah. We did win Alabama and all that. But, um, you know, it would just be more important for me just because I, I love to win and I hate to lose. I think I hate losing more than I like winning. So, um, you know, it would just be what they need to want to be at the top whenever – Everything is over. Just to, just to know that you won the ultimate goal in the NFL, which is to win the Super Bowl. So you know, it would be nice on the resume and all that. Completed the you know the highest the highest achievement at every level. But more importantly, I just want to win yeah, every game, the Super Bowl included. Jalen, you did win a lot of games at Alabama. Is there one that sticks out as your favorite? have to be the championship against Ohio State. Uh, one, that was the, the only national championship that I got while I was there. But I think that was probably the toughest season. Uh, I think it's a season that may get overlooked a little bit. I think, you know, during that COVID year, that was difficult. Uh, as it is just dealing with COVID and the restrictions and everything around it, no fans, that makes it a little tougher. And for us, we had an all-SEC schedule until the playoffs. So that was that was never a time where you could even think about taking a week off, and um, we were able to overcome that. Obviously, we had some great players, three guys in the Heisman race. One of them won the Heisman, broke multiple records. So I mean, that was a season that was just it's unforgettable. You may it may be forgettable for some people on the outside looking in, but being on that team is something you will never forget. Well, I, I tell you. One of the things that I've always respected about you is family. Of course, I grew up with your aunt and your mom and just having the ability to be around them for a majority of their lives, seeing you transform into not only a father, but as a husband. How has how has that changed your life? Looking in, and knowing that, hey, not only am I I'm an awesome dad, but I'm a husband also. Oh, big time. Um, you know, speaking of my mom, my mom and all make, you know, some crazy sacrifices for myself and and my cousins and all my loved ones around us. They did everything in their power to make sure they took care of their family. So it just rubbed off. Um, you know, they did everything they had to do. So with me, obviously it's different because I'm an athlete, but everything that I have to do, I make sure I get it done because I, I would never want to let my family down. I would never want to let my daughter down or my wife down. I want them to be proud to, you know, be able to represent each other. So, um, you know, having my daughter, which was in the middle of COVID, actually right when COVID started, um, it was it was really a game changer. It just it clicked something different that I didn't even think about. Uh, certain things that I do that I don't even think about. It's just a reaction. Um, and it's always the result of doing what's best for my family. So 
So, you know, it's the best thing that's happened to me, create my own family and down the line, hopefully my family will grow and they'll be proud of my achievements and I'll be able to provide for them until the day I roll over. Well, I, I know there are is a tremendous amount of people here in Mobile, Alabama, very proud of you and your achievements and continue to watch you chase your dreams. Now, I have a, a Steve Mask question for you. Coach Mask said he wanted to come back to Mobile and coach, and now he's coaching at Theodore High School. I don't know when the last time is you've had an opportunity to talk to Coach Mask, but what is your biggest moment that you remember with Coach Steve Mask? or most memorable uh, any any or all of the above i don't know so many moments <laughs> so many That's moments a, a lot of crazy games three state titles it's uh, it's really hard to pick one uh but i mean just that's just during my time there. So during my time there, something like three state titles, I think that just speaks on the type of leader that he is and the type of coach that he is. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how much talent was on the team. It didn't matter who was, you know, getting the ball, every player, anything like that. He found a way to, you know, will his team and, and put the team together to go to the championship. I think they they, they won after I left. Yeah. I think was it in, was it in was it in five A or six A game? Either way, they won another one. So they that just speaks on the type of leader he is, the type of coach he is. I hate to see him at Theodore, but <laughs> I wish him the success to be able to take them to the championship. Knowing him, if they don't win the championship, they'll come close. So yeah. you know, hats off to him. That's definitely Steve Mass for you. And Jalen Armour Davis, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive. And and Jalen, I, I know that. You know, OTAs are going on for the rookies, and they're getting an opportunity to experience what it's like to to achieve their dreams. But to actually hear your name called uh, in the 2022 draft, what what did that feel like? And what could you share with all the young student athletes that are in college or in high school currently and are waiting their turn to hear their name called? Man, at the time, man, I was numb. It seems like it's like I couldn't feel my feet. Everything was just moving in slow motion. I didn't, it, it didn't even feel real when it happened. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you get your name called and if you do, when you get your name called. If you get the opportunity, you got to take full advantage of it. Because one thing I learned once I got here is that, you know, your draft pick, or anything that comes with it, you could throw that in the trash the moment you walk in the door. And that was something that was the same way at Alabama. You was four or five star. When you get there, your stars, you go ahead and drop that in the trash as soon as you come to the door. Because once we all put our helmet on, once we all put this, this jersey on, I'm going to rise to the top by the end of the day. Uh, but the moment itself, it is special. Uh, and, you know, leading up to that moment, do everything in your power to to get there. You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm blessed that I was able to live through that, to say that, you know, I was able to hear my name called in front of my family, in front of my daughter, my sisters, my mom, everybody was able to see that with me. It's something that, you know, no one take away. You know, everybody knows you're going to have to go the extra mile. So the days that you wake up and you're thinking about the extra mile and you just don't feel like doing it because everything in it, you're not going to feel like doing it most times. 
you got to do it. And if you don't, don't expect don't expect the result that you're hoping for. Jalen Armour Davis joins us this afternoon on the final drive. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule, and I definitely want to wish you the best in your rehab and taking the steps to becoming the elite player that we all know that you are and will continue to be and want to wish you. I know I'm a Ravens fan here, especially after meeting your head coach and, and John Harbaugh last week at Tim, Team Focus. So, Continue to, to be great and continue to be an outstanding husband and father and represent the 251 in your time there at Baltimore. And we'll all continue to root for you, Jalen Armour Davis. Absolutely, always. I appreciate you guys as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and we'll talk again to you very soon. Absolutely. I'll be blessed. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening here on this Monday. And, of course, we've covered a lot of ground, and there will be a lot more ground covered about the PGA Championship coming up next on the John Rachetti Golf Show brought to you by Miller Lite. And, of course, today we were able to have Tony Sakalas, Jalen Armour Davis, Pete Smith chimed in about Deshaun Watson and the, the greatest running back of all time, Jim Brown. And, of course, Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn, always is a phenomenal guest. But tonight, Bronner, Will it be broom time for the Denver Nuggets? I don't think so. I, I think the, the Lakers rally and, and win one. It's in L.A. It's not like they've gotten smoked every game. Nuggets have just had some ridiculous shot making and some God mode by Jamal Murray. I, I do think back against the wall, LeBron rallies, is able to win one game. As for tomorrow, we'll talk about it tomorrow because it's not tonight. No, I think the Celtics are done, but we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Well, Alabama was able to pick up a four-star recruit out of Parker High School in Birmingham, Alabama, Jeremiah Beeman. And that's going to be a huge pickup for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide staff as they find another defensive lineman that's going to stay in state as he verbally commits to Alabama. So, like... Uh like we said earlier, it's it's all about protecting your in-state. Well, it's not, not necessarily for Alabama all about, but it certainly starts with uh, protecting your in-state borders, and, you know, it's a good start. We'll have the SEC tournament underway tomorrow. Alabama plays tomorrow afternoon in a win-or-go-home game against Kentucky as if they're able to go ahead and win and proceed, they'll give themselves life. And, of course, Carmelo Anthony is – Again, retiring from the NBA after 19 seasons. And we'll talk tomorrow a little bit more about Tom Brady. And he is already, we talked last week about him trying to become a minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, it looks like that's officially going to happen. And I know that with Tom Brady and everything that he has going on from a managerial standpoint, you know, the commitment to excellence that the Raiders 
mantra is. We'll, we'll might be their mantra. It hasn't been reality th- for, th- for now, the better again, part of the last 20 years. That, that is a known fact. It, it's been a while there. That's why I say Tom Brady is definitely committed to excellence as evident of him being called the GOAT by many in regards to not only the greatest quarterback of all time, but the greatest football player of all time. And Tom Brady is going to try to take some of his winning ways to minority ownership of the Las Vegas Raiders. And, of course... Better off with him playing quarterback this year. Hey, look, the Raiders are in a situation where they've handled their business and they think that Garoppolo... And Tom Brady knows a thing about Garoppolo personally, so that may help him for sure. And, of course, tomorrow we'll have an opportunity to speak on the results of tonight's game. And also on tomorrow's show, we'll also dig in a little bit about Deion Sanders being called out by another Power 5 coach. And that Power 5 coach will let you know who that is on tomorrow's final drive. But we want to thank everyone for checking in with us on this Monday afternoon. I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your evening. Look forward to talking to you again here tomorrow on the final drive.